Well, welcome back again, friends. You might like to take out your service sheet now, and inside there, there is a, an outline of this morning's message from the book uh, of Joshua, and there's plenty of space there for you to write down comments, notes, any questions that you'd like to talk to me about afterwards uh, as well. Let's pray as we think about God's Word together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your power, your majesty, your holiness, and your grace. We thank you that you make promises and that you are faithful to them, promises of grace. And we pray, Father, that we might be encouraged by that again this morning, that no matter what is going on in our life at the moment, no matter what's going to happen in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, that we might continue to rely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, there was a TV show called 20 to 1. And uh, different episodes counting down from 20 to 1 of different things that uh, were kind of significant or famous in, in history and people's lives. And I think Channel 9 have just relaunched the TV show uh, again. Why keep a, a good thing down, bring it back again. And a few years ago, there was an episode called 20 to 1, Life-Changing Events. I don't know if you can see that well, but there is a couple of life-changing events that the the TV show raised. Uh, number one, death, of course, that would be a life-changing event. Marriage, turning 18 or 21. Your first day of school, do you remember that? Life-changing event. The first house that you buy or, or rent. Now, I thought going bald, number 12, might be a little bit further up the list, but for others it may not be. Puberty, life-changing event. One thing that I didn't notice in that list is, is having a child or two or three or six or whatever it might be, they are life-changing as well. Maybe there are other things that you would have on that list as well. But if there is one thing that is constant in life, it is change. Change is one of the most constant things that we all experience, like the waves at the beach. Sometimes we long for the enjoyment of surfing the waves of change in our life, but sometimes the waves of change can be all too scary and we want to run back onto the beach and avoid the waves where possible. But whatever we think, whatever we believe, whatever we do, the waves will just keep on rolling in. So how can you be ready for the next wave of change that might be upon your life? How can you cope with the waves of change and not just be swamped, overwhelmed by them? Well, I think we see some answers in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4 this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've seen that Joshua and the people of Israel are on the verge of crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the land of Canaan that God had indeed promised that they would have as their own. Last week we saw the spies have been sent in, Rahab protected them and they've been assured that yes indeed the Lord has given the land of Canaan into their hands. And Joshua chapter 3 starts this morning with Joshua and the Israelites on the banks of the Jordan River. Have a look again at verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning left the Acacia Grove, no doubt where they had been staying, with all the Israelites. And they went as far as the Jordan 
and stayed there before crossing. And then in verse 2, we see that they stay there for three days. Here they are camping beside the Jordan River for three days, waiting. And it must have been a weird time for the Israelites. No doubt they had been encouraged by the report of the spies that the land is ready to be taken, it's ours. And yet they're paused here for three days. We're also told in verse 15 of chapter 3 that there may be a good reason why they have paused and that is the Jordan River is in flood at the moment. There is a raging torrent of water flowing down the stream and no doubt this must have caused some concern among the Israelites. How on earth are we going to get across into the land that is ours? Yes, maybe the fit men and women like the spies could swim across But what about the children and what about the livestock, the poor donkeys? How are they going to get across, let alone all the bags and baggage that they'd have to carry as well? And so here they are waiting, waiting to see what the next step might be. And as they wait, Joshua addresses them and tells them to do two things. And these two things I I think will help us as we navigate the waves of change that will come upon our lives as well. The first thing that Joshua exhorts the Israelites to do is to prepare themselves, prepare themselves. Have a look again at verse 2 to 6 and notice specifically verse 5. But let's start at verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp and commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, You must break camp and follow it, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't travelled this way before. And then Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, take the ark of the covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. The first thing Joshua says, verse 5, consecrate yourselves, Israel, or prepare yourself. Consecrate literally means set yourselves apart. Prepare yourselves for something amazing is about to happen. Now, what did this consecration or preparation entail? Well, we aren't told specifically here in Joshua chapter 3, but back in Exodus chapter 19, God told Moses to do the exact same thing with the people of Israel before the giving of the Ten Commandments. He said, consecrate yourselves. And there we are told that it specifically involved washing their clothes. And so no doubt that was what was involved now in Joshua chapter 3, which sounds a little bit weird given they're about to go into a river. Why do they need to do their laundry? It's just going to get wet again. Well, it's more than just laundry. There's something deeper going on here. It's God telling Joshua and the people of Israel that they need to have a clean heart and a clean mind. They need to have a a, a clear focus of what is about to happen, a a refocusing, putting God out in front in their life, a coming clean before him. And as we hear the story, we see that this putting God first is enacted in lots of different ways. 
particularly we see that the priests are called in verse 3, that when the time is right, the ark needs to go out in front, needs to be first. Now, that's not Noah's ark, although that would have been quite handy to cross uh, the raging torrent of the flooded river. It's not Noah's ark, but the ark of the covenant, that precious golden box that symbolised the very presence of God with his people. God was to be out front and they were to stay a distance behind it. Now, what's with the distance? A thousand yards. Well, yes, it's a way of saying that God is holy and utterly separate from the people and they need to keep their distance from him. But did you notice in verse 5 in particular, or in verse 4, don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. The emphasis, I think, is not so much on the holiness of God, although we cannot deny that, but it's on the fact that God needs to be out front so that the Israelites can see where they need to go. It's a way of saying, Joshua, as good of a leader he is, he's not the ultimate leader. God is your leader. He is out front. You need to see him and follow him. Why? Well, because if they weren't focused, if they weren't prepared, have their hearts and minds and eyes to see what God was going to do, they might see the events that are about to happen, yes, but they will miss its significance. If you're not prepared, you might see the event, but miss its significance. And I learnt this truth the hard way a couple of years ago. It was my day off, the kids were at school and and I thought, let's have a date together, let's go to the movies and we didn't prepare. We didn't look at any previews, read any reviews. We just turned at the cinema, looked at the name of the movies on the board and we said, oh, that one looks all right. It's got Ben Affleck in it. It looks like a nice romantic comedy. It was called Gone Girl. And we thought this will be a nice, relaxing movie to watch together and spend the day off. So we went in and we got comfortable and we started watching this movie and then we were completely caught by surprise. Because this is no romantic comedy, friends, and I don't necessarily want to recommend that you watch this particular movie. It is an edge-of-your-seat, intense thriller with some graphic and horrific violence all through it. We should have prepared. Because we weren't prepared, we didn't appreciate the movie. We saw it, yes, but we did not see its significance. There are many things in life, isn't there, that you need to prepare yourself for to appreciate its significance. There's a reason you get dressed up to go to a wedding, or at least the bride and the groom do, so that you don't miss the significance of that event. It's why we encourage students to prepare for their exams so that they don't miss the significance of that particular event in their life. And it's the same with following God. And not just for the people in Joshua's day. It's not just that they needed to prepare themselves to see what God was about to do and the significance of what God was about to do. God's people have always needed to have their hearts and minds focused on Him to see what He is about to do. It was true in Jesus' day. You might recall that John encouraged people to prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord. And what do you remember that entailed? It entailed washing in the Jordan River, no less. 
preparing themselves to see the coming of the Lord. And some did prepare, as John says, became children of God, but others did not, and so missed the significance of who Jesus is. And the principle still applies today for you and for me. So often I fear that we, we miss out on what God is doing in our lives because we haven't prepared ourselves to, to see what he wants to do and is doing. We don't give God the space. We don't put him out front and look to him. When we find ourselves like the Israelites, waiting, confused, trying to work out the next step forward in our life, we often make our own plans and we often make our own strategies, build our own arcs or employ the services of West Connects to build the tunnel so that we can get where we need to get. And likewise, God may have actually done something amazing in your life, maybe not stopped a, a raging torrent of a river before your eyes, but maybe he has spared your life. Maybe he has removed a life-threatening illness from your body and yet you assume it was just good luck or good medicine and not God giving you a, a second chance to get to know him better or to see where he wants to take your life. I was chatting to someone during the week where God has done an amazing miracle in their life and yet they couldn't see that it was God giving them a chance to get to know him. It was just the luck of his experience. You may be on the verge of God doing something amazing in your life, but you must prepare yourself. Refocus your heart and mind on God to see why that might be happening so that you don't miss its significance. Now, I don't think that that means you all need to go home and wash yourselves, literally, but I think it at least means saying to God, God, like the Israelites did of old, I'm putting you out in front. I want to see where you want to take me forward in life and I don't want to miss it God you are out in front I will follow prepare yourselves the second thing that Joshua exhorts the Israelites to do is to trust God to trust God have a look again at verse 7 to 13 verse 7 the Lord spoke to Joshua today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. Then Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites when the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. And we won't read it, but from verse 14 to 17, what the Lord says will happen is exactly what does happen. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed as if it was dry ground. An incredible miracle. 
At the end of chapter 4, the author makes it very reminiscent of the crossing of the Red Sea. But you might remember in the crossing of the Red Sea, we're also told that the Lord sends a strong east wind to part the waves of the Red Sea. But here there is no naturalistic explanation like that. The waters just stand up in a heap and the the whole river becomes dry. It's like a, a dam has just appeared and the Israelites can walk across this flooded river and not get wet. An incredible miracle. I don't know if you can imagine the expression on the children's faces as they see what has just happened. You know when kids see something unexpected, that absolute surprise and shock on their face, like, and then to be able to walk across the river. But beyond the power of this miracle, the whole event, I believe, is a call for Israel to trust in God. Of course, the priests needed to have some faith in God as they're told to go stand in a flooded river. Okay, Lord, I'll just wait for that wave to pass. That takes an element of trust and faith. But more than that, Joshua says to the Israelites in verse 10 that the miracle itself is meant to be an anchor of faith for the Israelites as they move into a time of great change. In other words, God is saying to the Israelites, if I can stop this raging river, if I can tame the Jordan, I can certainly tame the Jebusite or the Girgashite or the Hittite. If I can get you across and into the land, you can trust me to give you the land. Trust me is what God is saying. And we use that same logic every day. You probably didn't think about it too much as you came into church this morning and sat down in these beautiful yellow mustard pews. You didn't question the integrity of the seat. You just sat down. Why? Because you sat down in that seat and probably for some of you that exact same seat for many years. And it's proven to be trustworthy and reliable. That's the logic that God is saying to Israel. If you can trust me to get you into the land, you can trust me to give you the land. Keep trusting in me. And the importance of that faith in God in the midst of uncertainty and change would not just be something for that present generation of Israelites. It was something for future generation of Israelites to continue to do as well. You may have uh, recalled from that second reading in Joshua chapter 4 that the Israelites had to do something really bizarre as they crossed the Jordan. They had to find 12 something big rocks and take them with them and build this monument out of these 12 stones at Gilgal, which is where they camped after they crossed the Jordan. They also had to put, well, Joshua did at least, put 12 more stones back in the middle of the Jordan, which I thought, when the waters go back over it, no one's going to notice that there, except that there is often drought in the Middle East, and so when the water would kind of dispel, people would notice those 12 stones, no doubt, in the middle uh, of the Jordan. But it is a very weird thing that God tells Joshua and the Israelites to do. Why? Well, we're told why. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 21. I'll start at verse 20. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? And they're like, Yeah, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, 
Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. The 12 stones were meant to be a monument, a a teaching sign to future generations of the Lord's power to save his people. Now, the fact that the Lord had to institute this particular monument, this teaching sign, is an indication, I believe, that the greatest enemy that Israel would face in the promised land is not that they may not be powerful enough, but they may forget who the Lord is and what he has promised them. Forgetting to trust in his power and his strength to save and thinking that they might need to turn back to human wisdom and human power to get the job done. Now, if that trust in God, in his power, in his promises, was important for the generations of the Israelites to come after Joshua, it's no less important, friends, for you and for me to continue to trust in God, except that we have an even greater foundation, an even greater sign of God's faithfulness to us. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember these famous words in Romans 8. What then are we to say about these things, says the Apostle Paul? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, grant us everything? It's the same logic that is used in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. If God is able to save you in Christ then how can you not trust him with the future and whatever changes are going to happen in your life? God has done the greatest miracle for us all. Taken on human flesh. Lived the perfect human life that no person could. And yet died the death that we all deserve and rose again to guarantee us all a promised land greater than the land of Canaan. Relationship with God in a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. And it's, of course, no accident that Jesus, on the night before he died, commanded his disciples to do what God commanded Israel to do in Joshua chapter 4, to remember. Sound a bit like Musafa in The Lion King then. Remember. (laughs) Remember what I'm doing. The Lord's Supper was a, a sign for God's people to do on a regular basis, to remember the significance So we don't forget what Jesus, what God in Jesus has done for us all. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at least once a month. And we're going to be doing that again in a couple of weeks' time. Trust God. Change often causes us to be afraid and that's normal. That's the nature of something that's uncertain, is that we don't know and so we can easily be afraid. But we don't need to, as Christians in particular, to lock ourselves in our home, afraid to come out because we might be swamped and overwhelmed by whatever change is coming. We can step out in faith. We can step into the Jordan River, if you like, knowing that God has promised 
not only to be with us, but to be for us. The Lord who can stop a river, the Lord who can walk on water, the Lord who can calm the storm is our Lord. Don't forget that. Now, I have no idea what the future will bring to you or to our church. But if Israel's story is anything to learn from, I'm sure there'll be some significant waves in the years ahead, challenging times that we might face. After crossing the Jordan, Israel would face battle after battle after battle. And we are not in the promised land of heaven just yet. There are many battles internally and externally that you and I no doubt will face. But we can be ready for them. We don't need to be afraid of them if we do these two things, if we have prepared ourselves for them, if we have focused our heart and our mind to see what God is doing and where he is taking us. And of course, as we trust in him, as we look back on what God has already done as an anchor to continue to trust him in the ways ahead. And just imagine if we, if we did those two things, if all of us here really did prepare ourselves, if we truly did put our trust in God, imagine the difference that that might make. You know, if our hearts and minds are truly saying, God, you are out in front, I will follow you. Imagine the joy that we might get to experience as we have our eyes and hearts focused on God. We might get to see God's wonderful plan in action, change in our life, change in other people's lives. And imagine as we trust in the power and promises of God, just imagine the freedom that that brings us. Freedom from the pressure of our own or others' expectations, freedom from the pressure to solve every problem myself, freedom from the guilt when we inevitably mess up, and freedom to be bold, to step out into that river, to cross that ravine, or whatever it might be, to be bold because you know that God is with you and is for you. With God out front, and our trust firmly in his power and his promises, whatever waves of change are about to happen, we can embrace them confidently and with great hope. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what rivers or ravines, what waves are about to come upon us individually, as a family, as a church. But we know with even more certainty than Israel did of old of your faithfulness to your people. Jesus is our sure foundation, our cornerstone. As we trust in him, we need not fear. So, Father, we pray that you help us to prepare ourselves this day. As we've gathered together, as we've sung your praise, as we've talked to you, as we've listened to you, may we step out into this afternoon, to the rest of this week, eager to see where you are leading us. We don't want to miss that out. So, Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Mike.